Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here, we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like personal growth in motherhood and relationships, awareness of the ego versus the soul, the voice of fear versus intuition, We discuss what it looks like to step into your power and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I'm obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and their babies in home birth and free birth and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is about women taking radical responsibility for their life, shedding victimhood for good. I am so excited for today because today we get Cynthia's story of her dark underworld of postpartum. Cynthia is my friend and I think her story is just very unique and very beautiful because now I know her as a wise, beautiful, mature mother and I want to have her on again and again to talk about her Um, mothering because she mothers in a very unique, amazing way that inspires me so deeply. Uh, I text her all the time, you know, like, tell me a mothering story or what did your five-year-old child say today that will knock my socks off because she always has stories. It's just not an average way of motherhood for Cynthia, but she got there through the dark underworld of postpartum. And I want to explain the underworld because some people, a lot of women, you know, don't know what that is. And I only learned of it, you know, years ago. So the underworld in a woman's life is a rebirthing process. So it's not one time, it's not two times, it's many times in our lifetime where we rebirth a new you. And in this rebirthing process, It can be scary. It can be dark. It is so hard, but worth it. It is so worth it. And in a woman's life, you know, we are a maiden and then we should graduate into mother. And this is energy. It's a maturation process. So maiden is an, is immature feminine energy. And then we should mature to mature feminine energy, which is mother then we should graduate and mature to crone wise woman. This is the process of a woman's life. And this happens, but it's not talked about. So this is like putting language to the phases of a woman's life. And the underworld process is typically marked with a loss. So when you are in a rebirthing process, it's typically from a loss of a job, a person, a partner, a home, But in postpartum, it is the loss of identity often because you are mourning the loss of your maidenhood, of who you were your whole life, and then rebirthing a new you. You are rebirthing into the mother. And that is a big rite of passage. It's huge. It's a huge initiation. And in our society, a lot of women abort it. It's too scary. It's too dark. They don't want to rebirth a new them. They want to go back to their old self. 
They they want to go back to their maiden self because that's what is comfortable to them. That's what they're used to. And in our society, maidens are revered. You know, their their youthfulness and their freedom and their sex appeal and you know, being the damsel in distress, that's revered in our culture. And mothers are rejected. Like that is what it is. So what woman wants to go into this initiation process in which she will then be discarded by society? A lot of people, women, abort the maiden to mother process and run back to maidenhood. And then they are a wounded maiden. And that's when they are the damsel in distress. You can be an old woman and be a little girl emotionally. It's emotional maturity. So a wounded, a wounded maiden that is a mother is a victim. She blames her children for her suffering. Um, she doesn't rise up to the challenge of becoming a better new version of herself. She blames her children for the current state of her life instead of taking responsibility. And wounded maidens, you know, want doctors to tell them how to mother and what to do. They they just love um, escaping responsibility and they like blaming and blaming other people for their life. But Cynthia did not take this route. Cynthia had a very unique underworld experience and she stepped into mature mother and I get to know this version of her. I've known both. Um, and I want her back on the podcast to talk about, you know, beyond this story because this the, her postpartum story is just one aspect of who she is. You know, she is so much more than this one story, but this story is so critical in her growth, in her spiritual maturity, in rebirthing a new her. Cynthia has a lot of online offerings that are really unique. She focuses on fitness because she is a strength coach. Uh, I met her from my own husband. She worked for my husband about eight years ago. That's how we met. But her approach is just, it's different. It's not about a bounce back culture at all. It's very different. So Cynthia, what about doing an intro on who you are? That could be as long or short as you want. (laughs) And then, you know, what you offer women on your website and you know through your skype calls or whatever that is sure well first of all thanks for having me on and always kind of pushing me to to take the creative leaps with you so this is super fun um yes my story has a lot to do with postpartum which can mean a lot of different things for many people and is labeled in many different ways um but mine was definitely an adventure and we will we will get there. But I'll start first with, yes, I was a strength coach for your husband, Malcolm, where I learned so much about really high quality strength coach, uh, strength training and health coaching. So I worked with Malcolm for a few years and it was then that I found out that I was pregnant. We were not trying, but my husband and I were open and ready to take on the adventure. It was not a convenient time by any means. He was in grad school um, for two years, no income, about to start our travel rotations for 15 months. So we took on the adventure and uh, just had no idea what we were getting ourselves in for. Um, Yeah, you're still in the adventure. (laughs) Still still in the adventure. That's very, very, very true. 
Um, but we, you know, we had our relationship, our love, our marriage to carry us through, luckily. And um, it was, it was a, it's been a roller coaster. But my offerings now, um, where I've kind of landed through all the underworld journey and the roller coaster, is kind of using my skills that were started with working with Malcolm and high quality strength training and coaching, but with a spin of kind of what I learned about the feminine and training women and mother's bodies and how important it is to centralize the woman's cycle. So after having my daughter Paige, I just wanted to get right back to training exactly like I was doing. I was very strong and I made it my goal to do chin-ups in my ninth month of pregnancy. So I just didn't want to lose my fitness. I went back to training like I had done and just jacked myself up. Like everything was a mess. My hormones were a mess. My core wasn't healing, but then I could do chin-ups or I could squat, you know, heavy and I could deadlift heavy. So I didn't understand um, really what was going on. And so after meeting up with a wise woman who was a Czech trained trainer who actually like wrote the course on strength training for women and centralized her technique and program around coaching women through their female cycle. So I've been under her mentorship for the past five years and she's walked me through so many levels of healing and understanding of the female body and training mothers that from that I've shaped my website CynthiaSpinla.com to have offerings that um, really are there to serve mothers who are wanting to get back to working out postpartum because I just found this massive hole for treatment where it was like, okay, like, you, you know, they're like, oh, get back to the gym. But it's like, are you bringing your child to the gym child care? Like it, you haven't experienced that attachment. Like it wasn't as easy as I thought, and then it's like you're dropping them off, you're rushing into the workout, and oh, now nap schedule's messed up, or um, you know, they're crying as you're leaving. Like it's stressful. So then, like your nervous system's like on alert, and you're going to work out, and it's just not really what I needed postpartum, even though I was trying to like kind of push through and everything. So really having an approach, um, I operate from my home because becoming a mother too, like I just fell in love with being a stay-at-home mom and wanting to do a business that really centralized my values in motherhood. So I have um, a floor dedicated as an in-home training studio where mothers could come postpartum and bring their baby and get the assessments that they need, get the corrective exercise training that they need, and get the high-quality personal training that really isn't offered because so much of mother fitness is just online. And a lot of it is just kind of moms who bounce back and are in shape and they're like, do what worked for me. But the problem is like, you don't know what your body needs necessarily without that hands-on training or even like cueing on how to, you know, turn on that muscle properly or, you know, just get the results that you need from the hands-on training. So that's what I wanted to offer mothers is to have that space for coming to get the care they needed with their baby. Do you want to say where you're located right now? Oh, sure. <laughs> we okay. bounced around, but I'm in Sedona, Arizona, finally. Thank you that we we landed here. So 
loving it in Sedona and just opening up the space there. And I'll do some workshops for moms and in-person series. And I have some online offerings as well, as well as just a pick your brain phone call for moms who are kind of like I was, you know, swimming around in the dark, trying to navigate the postpartum fitness world, like Googling everything, checking to see, you know, what was going on. Is it pelvic floors? Is my core, you know, like what's happening? So um, that's a really cool offering that I made where it's just like moms who are like, what is going on or could help with nutrition for breastfeeding and um, things like that. So that's, yeah, that's all up there. You are a wealth of wisdom, which is why I want you on here. But do you want to, do you want to start with maybe your birth with Paige? Yeah. So I'll start off um, kind of like where I was pregnant, maybe. So like I had mentioned, I was, you know, training under Malcolm. I was working out in the gym. I was very much like in kind of what I've come to know as this like masculine energy place, but also a place where I was approaching having this baby as just like, I didn't want to lose my life. You know, like I didn't want to get out of shape. I didn't want to gain too much weight. I wanted to bounce back as soon as possible. So everything was targeted towards that where it's like, okay, what are my workouts postpartum or how can I not gain as much weight or how strong can I be? How can I make sure that? So there was nothing in my journey that was really like prepping for the maiden to mother switch. There wasn't, those words like weren't even in my vocabulary. Um, home birth wasn't allowed in my family lineage. I, you know, my sister, I remember telling me like, you're not going to do something like that. And so I opted for a midwife in the hospital thinking like, oh, that's the best of both worlds mentality, right? Because I liked the idea of having a natural birth, maybe because of like the woman machoism Everest of like, you know, having that badge, like, oh, I did it kind of thing. I didn't understand that what it meant to kind of be the passageway of becoming an empowered mother like that I didn't get that I thought it was just oh yeah I did it like you get your medal or something and I didn't have any wise women in my corner at all who were really guiding me in this way it was it's crazy the advice you get when you're pregnant but I really had no mothers who I had kind of seen cross the other side and really as an example of of the different ways. So I went through the hospital system and I at least was educated enough in health and, and used to being kind of difficult enough that I wasn't fully bullied around as much, but I was like, oh my gosh, like if people weren't as educated as I was, like they would, they would just get like thrown to the wolves like every step of the way was like do this or your baby will die like if you don't do this then there's a risk that your baby will die and they're like preying on mother's vulnerability and again I knew nothing about this like I knew nothing so even just going through this I was like oh my gosh like what in the world like I refuse to take the glucose drink like, that was, like, a massive thing. And they're like, well, you you know, you could have diabetes. And thankfully, again, I knew enough about nutrition. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm like, I'm not taking that drink. Like, there's nothing you can do to make me take that drink. Like, look at the ingredients. I'm not doing that. I'm not feeling sick the rest of my day. And so many mothers are like, oh, you just take it. Like, oh, well. And I'm like, no, I am not. I'm like, I will pay extra or do whatever I need 
to do an alternative test. So I paid extra for a glucose, a pure glucose tablet. And I went to pick it up for from a compound pharmacy to avoid drinking the drink. And you to have check to check the box. Yeah, you have to how pay America yeah. extra. How America, you have to pay extra to not drink the toxic drink. You have to pay extra well, to it's not how big get the pharma. Chemicals. I know. It's not it's not necessarily how big America is, it's how big pharma. Big yeah. pharma gives the hospitals those drinks for free and says, here, give them to the mothers. And I'm looking at this and Again, thankfully, I knew enough. I'm like, I'm not drinking this, like, corn syrup dye, like, imitation. Like, are you kidding me? So, yeah, so it was ludicrous. I had to pay extra to just go get a glucose tab. So I was very much, like, going through the, you know, the dance at the hospital, but kind of, like, being difficult every step of the way. Like, I tested GBS positive, and I was like, I'm not, you know, I'm not taking the antibiotics. Like, test me again, and did this, like, detox and everything, and... Still came up positive, and I was, you know, just super pissed. And they, they threatened to like keep me in the hospital, and um, if I didn't take it. And then I ended up taking the antibiotics, and that's when, like, again, it matters who's in your corner, like who's giving you advice. And because I had women in my corner, just be like, oh, get over yourself, like your baby could die. Who now have changed their dance? I took it. I took the antibiotic, and I was so annoyed that I did because I'm allergic to the top two that they give you. So they had to give me like the third option, which after birthing my baby, they're like, oh, that one doesn't even work on GBS. And they still try to keep me in the hospital. I was like, no, like get me out of here. So anyway, it was, yeah, it was a big dance. Um, and there, and then I started laboring. Um, labor was long, <laughs> very long. I didn't expect it to be as long. Again, no one in my corner. I didn't hire a doula. I didn't do, I did a birth course workshop weekend and not, not even a weekend, like a day. And that was about it. I just had my husband with me and we, neither one of us knew, you know, I wasn't, he, my husband's not a mother. He's never birthed. He did, he did it. You know, he was doing what the little class like told him to do and like massaging the points on my back. But we just didn't know. Like I was doing all the right things, quote unquote. Like I have my essential oils. I'm timing my contractions. I got my natural X, Y, and Z. Um, so labor took a long, long time. And when the under the belief system that I was in at the time, you know, I was like, I need to sleep. Like I'm not going to be able to birth this baby naturally. Like coming on three days of lost sleep and no progress. Like they wouldn't. Like I went to go get checked and I was only at like a four or something. So they sent me home and I was I was at my end. So I I checked in, got an epidural to get some sleep, and then woke up. They did the whole like Pitocin thing and then pushed still for like over two hours and my daughter came out. Um so overall not not a terrible birthing experience. Like but again, I just didn't know any anything better. Like I'd never even listened to birth stories or heard anything different. And so it was very much like, okay, like this is what it is. The epidural did scare me. Like when I got it, I felt disconnected from my body. And I hated that. Like I felt like a beached whale. And so there was this dissociative um, like connection with your body when you're like trying to push, but you don't know how hard you're pushing. You don't want to push too much because you don't want to tear, you know, so it's a very, 
disconnected feeling with your body. So I didn't love that. And then, you know, even like I told my husband, I was like, I get why people stay home. Like there was no part of me that wanted to go to the hospital when I was laboring. Like I wanted to stay home. And, you know, just again, where I was at this season of my life, this is what, this is what I did. This was the birth. And I'm thankful that, of course, nothing was worse, <laughs> to be honest. And yeah. And it was, you know, for a lot of people's other stories, I thankfully was spared from, you know, much, much more that could have gone on. And so, yeah, so Paige came and I do remember, you know, first looking her in the eyes and just busting out crying. You know, just seeing our eyes locked, she came out very awake and very alert. And it was just, it was, like, just absolutely incredible. And now after becoming more educated and learning about the importance of that first eye lock, like, with your child is what then triggers a lot of hormones in a mother to bond with the baby. And if you don't know a lot in the hospital birth, sometimes they whisk the baby away and we'll put eye drops in it specifically to block <laughs> the mother-child eye gaze. So again, thankfully, I was more educated kind of going into that hospital system birth. So I was still able to have um, kind of that bonding experience I have a with question. my child. Mm-hmm. Would you... Would you say, because we have some personality traits that are similar, and so I'm imagining myself in the hospital. Do you feel like with your personality, you you are able to say no for yourself just a little better than the average woman? So maybe that's why you were able to, you know, get a few more things. I was used to being difficult. That's what I mean. Like okay. I wasn't, there was no like, oh, like people pleasing good good girl mentality that I had like I was used to being annoying like I was used <laughs> to like getting what I you know fighting for what I want so I was that woman who came in with her birth plan don't do this don't do that um you well, know you were you were comfortable you were comfortable in that role you were comfortable yes. not people pleasing yes I was in that I think was very much my like masculine kind of qualities and I'd been working in a bodybuilder gym you know I'd been working with men and they're very straightforward and you know that's the way they communicate which I learned later is massively different than the way mothers communicate in mom world um so yes I was very in that assertive uh position so that's why again like I'm like thank god I was so educated and assertive going through the system because I was like they literally could have like obliterated me Cynthia <laughs> Cynthia that's when like thank god for your masculinity shield right <laughs> like I'm like thank god I went in there and was very much like no 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 like this is happening like but yeah and it, and it's annoying to be in that place because it's not a place that you're feeling supported and surrendering like there was nothing of that so yeah I was right there's a light in the dark for me and my masculine strength there so yeah, that, that was the place that I was in, you know, for my birth. And um, yeah, I'd say overall, like I still, I've made peace with, you know, my, my birth story and yes, very thankful. And now being educated post, I see, now I see like, 
why it's done the way it's done and what is happening. And yeah, it's, it's a lot. I did, you know, I tried to do the midwife thing and the midwife that I was with actually like left right before I pushed. So I had a midwife I had actually never met before deliver my baby. And I remember just being really upset and I maybe again, like kind of let down by the feminine. So whatever narrative that I had about like feminine support or, or something like that. It was kind of just, again, like let down or I don't know what I was picturing. I'm sure I had latched on to my midwife as a mother figure, you know, like save me and help me through this. So I'm sure it was a little bit of that, but um, it, yeah, I'd say overall, I didn't walk away from it being like, oh, that was like I didn't understand what maybe I like that there was a different opportunity that I could have had but I honestly don't think I was even in the consciousness level to have that so I don't have a lot of regret or anger about my birth because I'm like I did all the quote-unquote right things for even a natural empowered mother going into having a hospital birth But what I didn't even understand was like that it's a feminine surrendering empowered experience for the mother. Like, but that just wasn't in my, in my realm of consciousness. Yeah. And yeah. And I love that you touched on that because women like men, they tend to beat themselves up for not choosing certain things. And if if you would have been aware of it and ready for it, you would have done it. 100%. And I'm like, I honestly, I'm still okay with my choice that I went into the hospital. If I would stay at home with just me and my husband in the masculine kind of push place that I was, like I would have just like ripped myself apart, you know? Like there was no part of me that was even connected nor embodied into my pelvis and into opening and surrendering. It wasn't that like I just did not understand so that was the story that I needed to help me through and my story is really comes in postpartum and so that's where we'll kind of go to now because and that's I think the the natural birth the free birth like it is this highly debated polarized topic and that women can be shamed that they didn't have a natural birth and shame this way and that way and that's that's not necessarily what we're going for either and I remember having like a conversation with my sister and you know after she had kind of woken up and was having another birth but she was going to have it in the hospital and she had all this shame and guilt and everything that she was going to do that and I was like you know this is a choice that you're going to do like are you is having a natural birth the only way that you can become the empowered mother and she said no and I was like I agree it's not the only way you can become an empowered mother yeah because with my vision on this whole podcast is birth is a huge initiation huge right Mm -hmm. only women do it men don't it is the biggest initiation but absolutely but there's initiations in all aspects of womanhood and it's conception, it's pregnancy, it's birth, it's parenthood, it's postpartum. It can come at all of these different points and that's where yours occurred and that's why it's such an important thing to share these stories. 
Absolutely. And I think we can, you know, as mothers get caught in the comparison or the shame about the story and that story. And it's like, it's, it's way bigger than the one event. And sometimes it has a lot to do with your lineage, your contracts you came into, your pelvis, you know, trauma healing and everything. So really to understand, I'm, you know, I still am very pro natural birth and all everything about it and love and support it. And, but I know that for me, my initiation still came, um, without it, thankfully, but was, but it did come after and it came in the postpartum and I was later to come into my intuition and I was later to come into my empowered, uh, mother stance. So when I hear about people having that at birth, I think that's amazing. That's awesome. It just wasn't where I was. So, yeah. All right, so let's get to the let's, let's get to do the goods, it. right? <laughs> let's do it. All right, here's where here's where the movie starts, guys. All right. <laughs> so, when I was 21, I was di- given the diagnosis of um, bipolar, bipolar one, which is the most severe one that you can have in the sense that it's been marked by a complete psychotic break and episode. So, um, when I was Right before 20, I'd been hospitalized for uh, psychosis, so a complete break. Um, Visions, hallucinations, it mimics schizophrenia a lot, so they used to think they were one and the same. So I was medicated for seven years um, leading up to my pregnancy, Um, but again, the the, the gift of the diagnosis, if you will, it was the most perfect gift for me because it really forced me to learn about health, like from, from the trenches. Um, so from, I was determined to get off the med. You had to get off the med um, for pregnancy. And I knew that I'd have a baby one day and that was always the goal. And so it started me on this health journey very early on in life. And it would have been a lot more convenient if Kelly Brogan were famous back then. Or Whole30 was a thing back then. I would have probably accelerated like five years, shaved like five years off my journey. Um, But it wasn't the case. So I had to learn one at a time. Oh, the gluten. Now it's the dairy. Oh, the corn, the soy, MTHFR, liver detox, estrogen, like blah. It's so so linear. It's so so linear. linear. Oh my gosh. I'm like, ugh. People, now you got a whole 30, like people, you got things. I was like in my dorm room, like researching all this stuff, like doing juice fast from cafeteria food. Like it was not, it was not cute. Like nothing about it was, was great. Um, And yeah, so I had gotten sick before the hospitalization and I just depression and weight gain and acne and just everything that every 18 year old wants to deal with right but truly like couldn't sleep and I would go to doctors and they'd be like oh nothing's wrong with you like take Metamucil and be like what and so then um you know I really started this healing journey and had done a lot of great healing a lot of good work and then it kind of shifted into what they consider like the hypomania high energy um, phase of what they kind of categorize. I now don't associate myself with this disorder, but I'm very versed in it because I ended up doing my college thesis on it, medical literature review, and I've studied it from 
all all kind of angles. Yeah, that's why you're using the word they, which is that which is what I appreciate because you're not in that world anymore. No, I no. <laughs> but again, it was it was a gift at the time and I've experienced uh, many things because of it is taught me many things. So it was the catalyst for me really, really taking care of my health and really prioritizing self-care. And it was almost like the thing that guaranteed that I get self-care, if you will. Otherwise, it's just like, who's this bitch? <laughs> you know, Or but also like, yeah. it wasn't cool back then to like not drink, go to bed at nine, like get regular sleep, like all this stuff. So I was doing this at 21. Um, and so that's when, you know, just got into the health world and stuff. So with that, we knew that when I got pregnant, um, you came off meds, but that postpartum was going to be the quote unquote most dangerous time. So I was under the care of a psychiatrist, like kind of, I was doing all this stuff on my, on the side. I didn't really tell him about, he was just there kind of for medication maintenance. And, um, so with this diagnosis, I have a very supportive family. And that also is the light of coming from like a big, big family. Um, my sister gifted us like a night sleep support for postpartum because it was like we didn't know what to expect. I hadn't been off meds in over seven years. Well, because so, lack of sleep can exacerbate, right? That's the whole yes, thing. Th- and that was, again, why I checked into the hospital because of the narrative. Like, if I lose sleep, that it's going to spin me into, uh, like, a hypomanic state or have the danger of being hospitalized again. So everything was geared towards sleep. Everything so, was like, if you sleep, you're going to be good. So we were like, okay, <laughs> Let's yeah, so you – so because of this diagnosis and the medication you're on prior to pregnancy, you had the awareness of crafting your postpartum in a very specific way, which yeah. is a lot more awareness and crafting than the average first-time mother. Absolutely. Absolutely. But that even – thank goodness. Thank goodness I had a girlfriend in my corner who was on it. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have been, but – Again, the diagnosis was the reason I needed to be high maintenance, if you will, or be planning my fourth trimester, kind of having this support, this this sleep help, this sleep coaching thing, because this was our number one goal, was like getting me to a state of sleep as quickly as possible to stabilize because it would have been the first time in my in the past seven or eight years not being on meds. So this was where the focus was. And so luckily I got paired with a wonderful um, night nanny and sleep coach. Like she's known all around summer sleep peas, I think is what she goes by now. And um, so I I had a support that 0.001% of women get, but, but we weren't wealthy. And so that was this like weird irony, right? Where it was like my husband and I had no income. We were living in an apartment, but yet we had this service that only like celebrities or like the very wealthy had. So it like created this very interesting mother experience, if you will, coming into motherhood with that. So 
I was very thankful to have her. I told my husband, I remember I'm like, I would be all alone right now in the dark, not knowing what to do. And, and you can, I hear these arguments all the time. Like a mother knows what to do at all times. It's like, not unless she's coming to her intuition. Like we're maidens still. Like we need the mother to guide us into this. And I was not the mothering type. I never was like, oh, babies or babies. I didn't know what to do. I was so, again, like masculine minded and very pragmatic in my stuff. So to have this woman be up with me in the middle of the night was a godsend. Honestly, I was, it was amazing. Um, she, I would breastfeed, I would would hold the baby, swaddle, and then she would support me and I would get some sleep and be woken up again in the next few hours and stuff. So yes, there's a dark side to it. I was late to come into my intuition. I was late to stand on my own, like mothering two feet. I was late to believe in myself and my ability to mother my child on my own. I was very follow the book and that's it. Like, what's wrong with these people? <laughs> like, duh, like, here's a schedule. Like, what? why is mothering so, so hard? <laughs> so masculine. Oh, my so gosh. So masculine. Like, I was just like, what are these people doing? Like, what is their macros? Like, that's why your baby's crying. Like, get your fat up on the breast milk, people. Like, get, get your sugars down. Like, detox. Like, what's going on? So it was – I was just still in this mindset. Um, yeah, so what what support – did you mainly have sleep support? What was, like, your food – was this when you hired someone for food? Not yet. So okay. I was still very much in the, like, do-it-all mom mentality. So I would say, like, subconsciously I had put the Instagram do-it-all mom up on this, like, pedestal. Of like, I'm not going to be stopped by motherhood. I'm still going to do X, Y, Z, and D. I'm going to not skip a workout. Like, I rested for a week before I went hiking. And then I was, like, gripping my husband's arm, feeling the blood um, drip, like, walking back. I went down to the gym at two weeks and was still trying to, like, work out. I had a client phone call at three weeks. I wanted to start my business right away. Um there, there hadn't been this, this surrender or this stopping. It was yeah, like, you didn't I, want I can change. do it all. You no didn't change. want change. None at all. I literally was like, let's keep going. Like, keep it normal. Keep it as is. I'm fine. This is what it's doing. Like, I didn't want to change. And I was going very much full steam ahead with that, my masculine energy, with the maiden, like with the do it all mother as my goal. Like, as me proving myself that I could do this. Yeah, and I want to pause there for a second because, to me, that's where a lot of suffering in in postpartum and motherhood happens in general is going through this huge, massive rite of passage and life change made into mother and wanting nothing to change, not wanting yourself to change, as if you didn't birth a new you. Absolutely. And I think it's because we don't we don't really view it as the process that it is, as the death and the resurrection or as the metamorphosis that it is. We view it as you either champion it or you are 
overcome by motherhood. You lose yourself in motherhood. And coming from a family of nine kids and a mother who lost herself in motherhood, that was my subconscious number one drive, not to be my mother. And so I would do anything and everything to prove that I wasn't and to make sure that I stayed on top, that I was one of those do-it-all women. And and it's it's a sad lie. And, and I was surrounded by mothers as well who, who were – who are under this same kind of thought process where it's like, oh, look at me, like I bounce back quick or like I'm at, you're at the party two weeks postpartum, girl, you look good. Like it's just this, like that's how you've shown you've championed it because we have no example of seasons in our society. We have no example of understanding um phases of life and that's really where I've come to appreciate living cyclically like really really have gotten into um living with my cycle and my period to understand this always that the feminine lives in these seasons that she goes into the underworld she dies she sheds this false layer and then is comes out resurrected stronger more closely more close to the truest version of herself but this wasn't the narrative that I was given on motherhood. That was, no. It was like, you give up your life, you sacrifice everything. Oh, motherhood, like, here it goes. Or, you know, just whatever we hear out there. Um, But that's, that's really the narrative that it has kind of catalyzed me into seeing motherhood as this heroine's journey. And I'm a huge fan of Viktor Frankl, you know, man's search for meaning. Everything has to do with the narrative we give it. And so for me, motherhood as the heroine's journey truly was the subconscious storyline that propelled me through what, I would, what I'm about to tell you I experienced. Yeah, so with the support that I had in motherhood that really rarely mothers get, I had my mom with me as well. I had a night support um, I was still cooking on my own food. I'd been very used to that since I had, you know, been taking care of my health for so many years. It was no big deal. I But I was doing a lot of, like, the smoothies, the salads. There was no understanding of, like, doshas and the need for balancing out kind of the vata energy that new mothers have and, like, the airiness and needing that warmth, that comfort. So I I did very much the salad smoothie route you know um I looked good I lost the weight very quickly I was very shocked I was like what is you know what is that like I was so scared that was like my biggest fear right to like lose myself to motherhood and like you know be changed by it or to be stopped by it so I lost the weight I because I was eating really really well I was I did stop kind of going to make myself work out. I surrendered into like, let's just like go on walks and enjoy the time with my mom. I remember kind of having these insights of like, oh, this is why mothers aren't healthy. Like, because we're doing too much, you know? So I was starting to get glimpses of like, oh, this is like, why do I feel so good? (laughs) Like breastfeeding and like staying home. And so it was starting to kind of come in. Um, but, but really it was kind of, it was this awkward time at first because I was in this mother world 
very naive, like still maiden, didn't understand. I was surrounded by mothers, kind of like the circle that we were in. A lot of old school um, beliefs around motherhood and nutrition and birth and stuff. So I kind of was like this freak that not anyone knew my story or knew why. I didn't know I was bipolar in the circle that I was in. I kept it very quiet or that I was quote unquote had bipolar. I kept it very quiet. There's a lot of shame around that diagnosis. Um, So I kept it quiet. And so then it was like, oh, who's like Cynthia has a night meaning, but they didn't know why. So I had to deal a lot with like isolation in motherhood, judgment in motherhood, um, these awkward feelings of like, who does she think she is? But then also mothers would be texting me all their questions. Hey, can you ask your night nanny X, Y, and Z? Because they still weren't sleeping through the night and their child was like 18 months. And I was like, what? Like, what do you mean? Like, it was mind-blowing to me because my daughter slept through the night at six weeks on the dot. And so I, I was just in this place where, like, my experience was not matching any of the mother's experience around me. Um, Paige was very, very peaceful, very enjoyable baby. I didn't have to breastfeed, like, more than every three hours. My breast milk was very like thick and yellow and I was around mothers breastfeeding like every half hour or still not sleeping and so it, it started to just like pose a lot of questions of like what's going on like what what is happening you know so I was still very much looking through it from a nutritional kind of health lens so I started to kind of see everything through this lens of like well why am I having this experience and they're not? And and it gave me this like weird leg up because I had access to this woman who gave me all this education of even like knowing how to breastfeed in a way that brought in my hind milk. Mothers don't know that. Like, you know, like you wouldn't just know that information or to know to switch boobs at this, this point and that point to then get the hind milk or to, you know, Like if I was pumping and I had trouble, like you had to be next to the baby, then your hormones would increase to produce more milk. So I I had this kind of a wise woman in this manner in my corner postpartum that mothers didn't. And it really created this different experience at first postpartum. And and I I got cocky. Um, I got very narrow narrow-minded like what the hell like just eat this way and do this like what's wrong with you and and thankfully thankfully um god was like all right girl it's time to be humbled it's time it's time to meet you know the dark the dark side of motherhood it's time for you to go into the underworld and it's time for you to have your dark night of the soul and so that's when Things started to shift. So when you're in postpartum, now after learning about it a lot, the veil between the spiritual world and the physical world is very thin because you like you are the portal for life. Like you are a spiritual pathway. So your connection to the divine is so, so strong at that point. And I started to be flooded 
with like visions and inspirations, insights, like memories. Um, I had a childhood trauma revealed to me. Just like all of this stuff was kind of flooding me at that time. And I didn't, by this time, the night nanny wasn't with us. So she stopped like right when, um, at six weeks when Paige slept through the night. My mother had left. So it was now me. Um, and I was very much like, I'm fine. I can do it all. You know, like I can do it all. Keep going. And and that's when stuff started coming. So things were shifting. And, and so then we were under the kind of belief system like, oh, this must be bipolar again. Like Cynthia must be sick. Like this must be what's going on. And so it was kind of this really, really challenging time because if I went back with that diagnosis, I was going to be medicated and I wouldn't be able to breastfeed. So I wanted to be able to breastfeed at all costs. So I was determined. I was like, no, no, I was doing everything I could, like taking supplements to ground me, all the rituals, everything. But my energy, like I was so, kind of like the portal was so open um, if you will. And, and we were under kind of like a honeymoon phase of postpartum had kind of gone, like my help had gone. It was me and my husband on my own. We were, um, in a stressful place. Like he was in grad school. We had no money. I was by myself and, um, we were about to have to move and do rotations and stuff. So it was a lot more stress. So I remember kind of being like, okay, well I'll start working again or I'll create this business. So I kind of started going too quickly, if you will. So I kind of put on that accelerator of, you know, push through this. I'll carry us through and I'll do X, Y, and Z and just kind of kept going. But then, but then God was like, no. And he forced me into the underworld. And I completely left my body and went into a psychotic, what they would consider psychosis state. Um, and my family being, you know, under the belief systems that we were under at the time hospitalized me. So I, um, I was hospitalized. I was separated from my daughter for a week. Um, my sister-in-law actually had to breastfeed her. And I remember seeing that kind of in this blurred psychotic state. Um, and went in and had a horrendous experience in the hospital, just in and out of what they would kind of consider what would be like a, an episode of in and out. And then they drug you up hardcore. And so you're in this weird, drugged up, in between worlds, isolated, horrible, just numbing, raw state. And they would bring... I didn't, I didn't see Paige. They'd bring pictures of Paige. And for the week, they'd come visit me and my family, thank God, they, they know. They, they would bring me, like, food from Whole Foods and the juice. Like, we they knew. And so we were – we knew the drill. It got me out. And and then that was when really started to navigate the dark um, of it all because I went from – having a night nanny, looking good, <laughs> like showing up postpartum, not skipping a beat, having everybody contact me, like, how are you doing it? Like, oh my gosh, girl, you look good. How are you sleeping? How's your baby sleeping? How, 
Like, tell us, you know. So I went from that to um, medicated, alone, and not breastfeeding. So it was quite the shift. And my mom was done. Um, She had been with me for a while but needed to kind of take a step back. It was beyond what anybody could take on. And I was um, on the other side of the country as my family. So um, again, coming from a supportive family, like we had no money at the time. My mom and my sister gifted me some money to hire, hire some help. So we hired college girls because I couldn't be alone with my baby. And my husband couldn't stop because he was in um, grad school for us. And that's where we needed him. And so I hired some college girls to come be what I call my mother's supper because they weren't the nanny. I was there. Um, I just couldn't be alone. I was navigating being drugged up and lots on my plate, figuring out what to do now. Um, And this is when I had to start researching formulas. Thankfully, I was gifted some breast milk from other mothers who were had an overproduction but that as well even made me question because I could see the change in my daughter's needs for feeding so she stopped sleeping through the night on this breast milk and the breast milk looked so different than mine mine was like a dark yellow this was like a frothy white and and so it really again just got me like why like why like what is going on and you know, and just brought up the frustration now that I couldn't breastfeed her, that I wasn't in charge of the diet that she was getting through my milk, that I, you know, I was very annoyed by by all of it. Um, and kind of just navigating like what to do. So I had to go down the rabbit hole of researching formulas, which somehow I was still naive to think that the system was just broken. And then it was researching formulas that I was like, oh, it's made this way. This makes no sense. Like, again, because I knew enough about nutrition, you turn over a formula and look at the ingredients and you're like, what? Like low-fat milk, cow's milk, corn syrup is like the first ingredient of doctor's recommended number one formula. And so I was just like, this is, this is, this is bullshit. Like, and this isn't an accident and you can't tell me that it is. And so that actually was what kind of helped pivot me into Empowered Mother because I no longer believed that the authorities were good. Like, they weren't. The FDA, if the FDA approved this but didn't approve a whole-fat goat's milk formula that I was trying to give my daughter, something was up. Yep. So this was actually the point where I had to step into my own right of authority because what I was quote unquote doing was not recommended by any doctor or FDA. So I chose to go against them and how I was feeding my daughter. Um, and that was kind of this weird rite of passage for me because if I had just been like, oh, well, this formula is doctors recommend it. It's number one. Like, oh, look, look on the bottle. Look what they say. I would have been going against what I knew. And so we um, like special ordered some formula, did DIY, make the recipe Mount Capra. We finally found Mount Capra. Praise God. They are an amazing company and they make a formula. You have to mix the ingredients. 
um, but it's pure and it was full fat. And so I knew enough about that and knew what a baby needed. Um, because when it's not full fat, it's going to affect the glucose, like all the things, right? So that, that was a big moment for me of like, no, I'm doing it my way and kind of like broke up with the pediatrician and had to be okay with like, nah, I'm, I'm not doing what they say I'm supposed to be doing. Is this? I, I know more. Yeah. Yeah. Is this like one, two months postpartum? What's the timing? Um, this was, I went into the hospital right at like 10 weeks. Okay. So it, it wasn't even outside of my fourth trimester fully. And so at 10 weeks, I was cut off from breastfeeding. And I was thankful to get the first initial portion and like the colostrum and everything for Paige and had that experience. But it it was cut short and um, it, it was a lot to figure out the formula. You had to tinker, like kind of tinker with it and, and bottles are getting clogged and it's overwhelming. I'm in, you know, on drugs and in this state. So it was, it was really, really, really intense. Um, really intense at that time and having to like get my daughter sleeping again through the night. And then I needed to sleep because I'm in a drugged out state and my husband is gone at five in the morning, like doing his rotations. And it's me and my high school, my college helper pretty much. So I spent the summer with my college helper and we rocked it. I, I was there. They would drive me to my chiropractor appointments, and it was basically me and energy workers navigating it, um, where I would have them kind of help me navigate. We did a lot of chiropractic and energy work um, for both my daughter and I, and yeah, just really kind of kept going um, in this state, but it was, that's kind of when when the dark really, really hit because again, I wasn't telling anybody what would really happen. So kind of being in mom world now, it was like, Oh, like experiencing that shame of like bottle feeding, it shouldn't be there, but it's there, you know, like, Oh, you can't breastfeed and having to like go through that or like, Oh, you have help. And me not being like, Oh, like being embarrassed or just kind of this narrative of like, I'm not mother enough. Like if I need help, and it's I think so interesting that you experienced this shadow and light because in the first yeah. ten weeks you were you were balling like oh yeah you were doing it all and then now you're on the flip side. On the flip side, I couldn't be alone with my child. I I couldn't be alone. Like I was in this state of not only recovering from what I experienced in the hospital, processing it all, processing the traumas, the visions, everything that came up, and having this child to be present to daily. And, and people offered many other ways of helping at that time. Like, well, does she need to go into daycare? Does Do we need this? Do we need that? And I was like, no, like, I need help here. She needs to sleep. Like, I need to be with her. I need help. But I had to take care of myself. Again, the light of my diagnosis, the light of, like, guarantee like granting me permission to one have a helper in motherhood and to have to take care of myself like I I went to yoga classes or I went you know I made sure to kind of still have my 
kind of time um, to just process and to have help. And, and so it is this weird light and dark where it's like, oh, you have help? Oh, like you're not mother enough. But then it's like, oh, you don't have help at the same time where it's like, like feeling guilty that I have help at the same time too. So yeah. it's like this the and and I've noticed that with moms because I've tried to solve many other people's motherhoods by just being like hire help, hire a mother like a mother solver solves everything, you know, of course. Cuz that's my experience, but many mothers are extremely resistant. Will fight me on it and just be like no, like no. Or they'll try and tell me like I don't have enough money or this and that. I'm like we had no money. We were living in an apartment. Like this is what we prioritized. Conventional help is hiring help to relieve the mother to not be with the baby and your help is different. I want you to explain a mother's helper. So I was very big on calling in a mother's helper because I was like, I don't need them to sit there with the baby. I need them to help me because there's so much to being a, a mom. And if we were, I'm not going to get this fully right, but just if we were still connected to the land, if homes were still connected to the land, it would have never been a mother alone with the child. Like that would have never happened to where the mother is now everything. The mother would then have been kind of become the queen bee and she would have had other helpers, whether it was her mom, aunts, hired help, like workers, anything like it wouldn't have been this situation. Maiden. But, yeah, it was it would but now that we are disconnected from the land and they kind of equated a mother's role with a cook and a cleaner with the movement of feminism, we kind of negated what it means to be a mother outside of that. And we've gotten rid of everything else. And so they replaced all of this stuff with the microwave and oh, you can just hire a maid. Like, what? why are you staying at home? And so we've lost even with that role of what a mother is. And I, I didn't even know, honestly. I remember coming into it and having a conversation with my mom and was like, like, where were you? I, ne- I needed a mother. Like, that, like the, the, the issues that I had in high school and growing up and the rough passageways like, that I had to deal with, it was, it was because of kind of not having that strong mothering in my life to guide me, you know, through it and seeing how much the mother really is so much. Like she's the biggest threat to the system because now she's in charge of not only what the children are eating, what the home's purchasing, what books that are coming into the house, what the children are being taught, like what the husband is serving, the home or the state, you know, like it, she is literally the most powerful like figure and that's and now understanding why the system wants to keep women in maidens rather than empowered mothers and 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 keep and get women out of the home like yeah go go serve some boss don't serve your family right and when you understand that feminism was like a controlled movement to also support the medical system. Like when you get that feminism is makes you the foot soldiers of big pharma, like everything changes. Yeah. Like, oh, this is why. Yeah. No, 
pay more taxes, you need more medication, and women's health, right, is one of the biggest money makers ever. You got the birth control pill and, you know, all the postpartum things that just, you know, women's hormone issues and stuff. Well, it's like, well, women aren't living in their natural state. So we're, they're living on the, the system state with it. So it was... exactly. Yeah, and, and all my worldview, like, shifted. It shifted now when I saw this and was like, oh, right, like, the authorities, or as Kelly Brogan says, you know, mommy and daddy, mommy medicine and daddy government aren't aren't good. Like, they're not, they're not there for you. And Wait, that so, is what thrusts you. Yeah, so when did you, when did your mind start opening about, Big Pharma Medicine. When did you get introduced to Kelly Brogan, Dr. Kelly Brogan and her books and what she teaches? I would say postpartum. So postpartum for sure. The formula was the formula was definitely a massive catalyst. Um a lot of the visions that I had leading into my hosp- hospitalization were very eye-opening. Um so it was coming out of the hospital and kind of being thrust into mother and forced to stop. I couldn't work. I, you know, in the, in the state that I was of pure survival and we were about to move and things. So I was, I was thrust into mother where it was like, I was stopped and was there with my child and not with other, like, yes, I had a college helper, but not another, like my mom wasn't there. The night nanny was gone. Like it was me. But hold on, hold on. How did you have the awareness of hiring a young girl to be your mother's helper to help cook, run errands, do all these things to help you so that you could be with your baby? How did you have that awareness versus hire a babysitter so that they could be with your baby and then you ran errands? (sighs) Because to me, that's immediately how I knew you were different. I think a lot of people, the narrative would be like, go take care of yourself. And so it would have been probably like, you know, you go to the, you know, you go off by that self and let them kind of doing, you know, the baby work, right? And kind of separate the two. Um, you you just know. I know. Like, so is that the, your intuition? Bond. Because you because you never fell into the narrative of, oh, I, I need to go on on a vacation away from my baby you never right, fell into that. So do you think this is your intuition, like, deep down? The attachment is the real. The attachment is real. You don't know about the attachment until you have the baby. And I, that's what you don't – that's what mothers don't know. You think you're just going to go back to work after having the baby. You think it's just going to be the same. You don't know about the mother-child bond. Like, you don't know that you're – one in the same energy field until I forget what age but so when I was away from her I experienced a lot of anxiety and it was very hard I remember being in the store one time after her and was just like like I need to be with her like and and so it took me a lot of time I didn't know necessarily like it was a lot of fumbling a lot of fumbling and figuring out what I needed help on what I needed them to do I remember crying and just making a list of like what can only me like what can only I do and what can someone else do? And it was actually like one of the most helpful exercises where, you know, going from that mentality of we can and should do everything to then having a helper serve you as you come into the feminine and motherhood is very awkward. And most women I think have trouble doing that as I've like 
talked to moms after and suggested a helper and they're like, no, 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 I can do it. Like, why would I have that? And it is, it's, it's awkward at first. You're like, oh, they're cutting my vegetables. I'm just sitting here. And so then you're like, what, what should I be doing, doing, doing? And so it like puts you in this state where you're like, oh, I got to be proving my worth. Like I'm just sitting here. And so that, that is what's coming into the feminine. Like it's okay to be in stillness. And so this was a very just like rough entry kind of into understanding what the feminine was. And so from breakdowns of like deciding who was cutting the carrot, you know, just very pragmatically, I had to be like, they can cut the carrot. They can't be the mother. Like they can cut the carrot. They can't take care of processing what I'm processing from the hospitalization. Like, so it was just kind of very... Like, this is what I need you to do. And and I was very much just in, like, go mode, like, survive. Um, and after being separated from my child for the week, like, you didn't – I didn't want it again. And because now I was coming into the bond. Now that I was just me, I was coming into studying her, knowing her movements, really getting to know her because I was forced to stop where before it was just like keep going keep going keep going so like having that quiet time that alone time at home that time to process and I think that as that was kind of having that archetypal shift into mother and you know that that the bonding started to become stronger um as the more I got to know Paige and the more I wanted to be with her and And the more, like, yeah, like, she didn't cause it. It was never – and that was the thing. Like, I didn't fit into any category because it wasn't postpartum depression. You know, so everybody hears postpartum and they're like – you know, people would be like, oh, yeah, like, I didn't know if I had postpartum for a second. And no one's trying to, like, admit that they struggled postpartum because otherwise you get labeled and you get medicated. And so – after my hospitalization, it really, I was like, what just happened? Like, what just happened? Because, no, I wasn't depressed. So people would have assumed, like, oh, you had postpartum depression, like, you're medicated, you can't take care of your child. Like, no, that wasn't the case. No, it wasn't that I wasn't sleeping. So it wasn't bipolar, right? Like, non-sleep-induced bipolar. Like, that wasn't the case. So, like, what was it? And what did I just experience? And... And I did listen to, like, a podcast with Kelly Brogan, I think, postpartum, that really did it. And I think she – it was, like, postpartum psychosis or or an awakening or spiritual awakening. And so then I started to shift and understand, like, oh, this was a shift. Like, this was a massive um, identity shift and, and transition that I just experienced in life and no one knew what nor how to support it and so immediately it was medicate which under the belief system my family did the best that they they could they know now (laughs) like they know now if it ever happens again they will not be taking me to the hospital we know enough now but there was no space for it there was no words for it there's no vocabulary for it so wasn't until I really started searching for answers and understanding like what just happened and nothing resonated that was 
quote unquote diagnosed because I was like, no, I wasn't anxious. I was taken care of more than most people. I wasn't depressed. No, I wasn't that. Like that wasn't it. But you can't tell me that something didn't drastically shift. And so I started devouring any podcast that I found on Made Into Mother, like searching these not mainstream podcasts, anything that said like the feminine, anything that had matrescence in it. So coming to understand like what people are calling matrescence now, which is the kind of second adolescence of when a, um, a maiden becomes a mother or mother for the first time is this adolescent time of figuring out who she is and what her values are and and everything just shifts like who you are is not this is no longer and then we so after this summer that I had like the mother's helper and figuring it out and we got in a groove and like I I rocked it honestly like we my husband was working his ass off in school I had a college helper five days a week we had meals prepped we had him him fed, me fed, baby fed, like we were making the formula, doing the stuff. And thank God, right? Because I was make DIY formula like six times a day. And and then the feeding of the bottle and figuring out like, oh, the bubbles in the bottle and now the burping and oh, let's adjust this part of the formula and that part. Like, so it, there was a lot. Um, and then even figuring out what moms were safe to hang out with after, like which moms I could trust with my story and and which moms I wanted to be around like everything my friends shifted I lost all I would say like I didn't have that many girlfriends to begin with I'm gonna be honest with myself um but I I definitely did not hang out with the ones that I had I I shifted and and luckily was kind of pointed towards two or three to hang out with. And and it was those mom dates and those mom conversations that really kind of helped nourish my shift into motherhood because talking with them and their stories and understanding how hard the shift was for them and and what they went through necessarily on their own or how maybe they tried to force themselves to go back to work because they think that they should or it's a it's a mark of success that they did that they championed it and so I found a few moms that really just rich rich mom friends at that time like we need mothers at the postpartum time like that's who we need to hear their stories their 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 medicine right and hear what they struggled because there's so many themes of you know, the shifts in marriage, and we talk about that, like the polarity shift that happens postpartum, no one prepares you for because with this feminist kind of view of womanhood, you go in as, I'll do it all, I'll do it all. And and we are so kind of trained in our masculine ways that we think it's going to keep up when we're mother. But when the baby comes, the polarity shifts dramatically, and there has to be kind of this this reckoning with the masculine and the feminine and deciding who's who's taking what part and what what's happening in those early days and if the mother is going to be kind of take on the feminine and be kind of in that yinish state because if she's breastfeeding or she's with the baby like you kind of take on this yin pace that's a lot slower it's very different rhythm that I had never experienced. And so I started to experience that postpartum and come in to this 
this more like slower yin state that I think I would have tried to put my husband in and avoid doing the mother work otherwise because I would have run to working. Like I didn't want to do the stay-at-home work. So after, you know, my mom's gone, the help's gone, the honeymoon phase of postpartum's gone, I wanted to run back to work. Like I remember just being like, well, I, I, I can still do one client. I could do two clients. I maybe have like three. What if I did this? Like I could start a business. And so it is this shedding of the ego, like of your false self and really having to have a reckoning with your self-worth and let go of all the ties to it as what you do in life, how much money you bring in and what your education is in. It, it all shifts. And it was a massive shift for me because I, you know, my husband and I were both making similar money before and I was around dudes. And now I was in girl world and learning how to operate in girl world. Um, So I was very much like still like texting like a guy. Like I always joked about that, like entering into mother. It was like, oh, I have to go talk to the moms at parties. And, um, you know, just like feeling that invisibility that they talk about. Um, But I learned to like lean into it. And I think that's what was surprising it was like, yes, it was hard at first. And I was like, what has just happened to my life? Like I'm washing bottles and making formula and that's it. Serving like this baby. Serving this pissed. baby. <laughs> and serving the whole. Serving the whole of like what my husband was doing. Like we – and we were working as a team. But I was pissed at my role and just was like, I can't – I can't believe this happened. And I even, with my husband's medical rotations, we, um, we lived apart for six months and then I went, then went to go live with family. So I lived in the guest room of my sister's house with like all of her kids. So I also got a window into motherhood that not many mothers have. So I had a window into motherhood kind of, you know, 15 years down the road and I got to see the realities of motherhood. From this other perspective, carpools, food, sports, doing the things, the schools, the friend groups, the the dynamics, all of it. And I was just like, holy cow. So it was this journey in the underworld, kind of by myself, listening to podcasts, observing my sister's life, questioning everything, researching everything that had to do with postpartum, and kind of just going through this very alone like there wasn't many people that I could luckily I had like one or two mom friends like I said that I could share with in it and that was like light light in the dark and I just couldn't soak up enough on the maiden to mother transition it was what carried me through like to choose not to just be the victim or not to try to escape motherhood. It was like, no, this is the portal. And like believing to get to the the next season with it and and starting to like who I was turning into. And and that was that was a big part of big part of the shift and starting to see my power in mother and starting to really realize like this is where my, the most power in my life is. And I remember mom came up to me, I wasn't close with, and she was like, don't worry, like, you'll you'll get back to work one day. 
And I was like, girl, I can work any day I damn please. There is work to be had out there. No one can raise my baby nor be married to my husband. That is where my work lies. Anybody can have a fitness blog, but nobody can raise my daughter and live the life with my husband. And I brought her to tears as she had bought into the narrative and went and worked for the system. Her house was chaos. All the stuff, her low self-worth, her health was in the toilet because she was trying to do the do-it-all. And she broke down crying and was like, oh, yeah, I want another baby. And and I just saw, I was like, I care more about taking care of my health and my family. Yes, I do have a business on the side now. And I'm not saying there's one right or what wrong way in motherhood at all. I'm not saying that everybody has different situations. But it's the mentality that your worth is like lower as a mother is what needs to flip when you start to realize as a mother that you're actually the top of the food chain and that's what bothers me is when you hear like unpaid motherhood work and it's like girl your husband's working so you can stay at home like you have that value that people are working for you to stay at home that is why he's working you know like so there wasn't you know, with my husband and I, there wasn't any of that resentment towards towards him. I was not jealous of him being, you know, as they say postpartum, like, you will experience a polarity shift. Your marriage will shift. And it did. But it shifted in a good way for my husband and I. I had to, I was forced out of the masculine and he had to rise. He had to, he had space to rise in the masculine. And I did not resent him because I didn't want my life to be unchanged. Like many mothers are like, well, a husband's life's just unchanged and you just keeps going to work. And I'm like, nothing sounds more boring to me than to have to like go to the same job for the rest of my life. Like I want the seasons. I want the deaths. I want the resurrections. I want, I want this, this inner life experience that I get to live as mother. Um, and everything in life's a paradox. So you start to just see whatever people you think are the authorities and when it's really like the ones who are with the babies when you have like real talk with them that understand the truth of the world a little bit so it's everything just kind of flips on its you know flips upside down where it's you know you think the pediatricians or the doctors know the most about babies but they spend the least amount of time with the babies you know so it's just everything is flipped on its head and you just have to kind of start seeing the world right through that that adult lens where everything is kind of this paradox um, with it. So, oh my God, Cynthia, I usually like don't talk this little, but I just <laughs> love hearing you speak so much because everything I. But this is why we're friends. Like this is why when we're on the phone together, we can talk for two hours, chit okay, chat, <laughs> because. You say like the root of of everything, which to me, that's sometimes when I chime in, but like I just don't need to chime in at all. <laughs> um, I want to know if you want to, if you have a little more of your, of your story or if you want to shift into any like postpartum advice type of stuff. Do you have a little more to say? 
Um, I think there's just one part I would want to share that will kind of connect the dots a little okay. bit um, of where I am now. Okay. So, so when I was kind of in this underworld experience, like living with my family, traveling, doing this stay-at-home thing, um, like making the formula, rinse, bottles, repeat, like walks, you know, I was – we moved away from what friends I had. It was this very isolated kind of state. Like, yes, I was with my family, but older – older siblings that I didn't necessarily like know as much or in we weren't in the same season of life if you will um but I again I was devouring podcasts I was searching and I I had still continued to work out a lot and I was doing as much of the health stuff like we were meal prepping chopping like still was doing all of that and then you know, as you know, like, you have no understanding of, like, a postpartum timeline. Um, I actually just, like, even wrote a blog on this where it's, like, you think, like, oh, six months postpartum, oh, everything should be back, like, back to normal or good to go. And you just have no concept of, like, time necessarily. Like, it shifts to cyclical versus this linear aspect. And, you know, it it's a long it's a long road in the underworld. Like you're feeding your child solids at six months and breastfeeding or bottle feeding. So it was the realities of motherhood and doing it this way where I was like, what is happening? Like how are there moms who are do quote unquote doing it all? Like what, what is happening? Because even just the time it takes to sit down and feed a bottle like I couldn't do anything I couldn't even scroll my phone like I was doing when I was breastfeeding I was you know doing the bottle which was good that it taught me like look my child in the eye bond with her and you know feed her and then you do that and you're introducing solids at that time and if you're doing like baby led weaning like you're sitting down you're cooking vegetables like you're cleaning it up you're sitting down with the child like you're teaching them how to eat and eating with them like they just model us right and so it just had me like questioning everything like how are mothers doing it like I this is the only thing that I can do right now like someone asked me like what have you been up to and I was like feeding my child and cleaning up after like that is like when you're cooking real food and doing it this way like this takes so much time and like I was very routine with it and stuff so it it really had me like questioning almost everything so that's where it like went down the rabbit hole of then like now when formulas are introduced now when the microwaves introduced now when fake food comes into place and now when all this comes into place is because it takes the emphasis of the home you don't need it now we got fast food now we got you know, restaurants, we got all of this stuff. So it really is the connection to our food. And that, it, it's weird, but it's like, if we go back to hunter-gatherer phases, like the women were always like with the food and learning about the female health even. It's like our hormones have so much to do as well with like what we're eating and the access to the food. And that had you know, then affected the mother's self, which affects the baby's health. Like, the baby's jaw is formed from the mother's placenta. Like, 
then the milk and, you know, the sleep, all of it. So it was just like, what the hell, you know, like seeing it this way and just like, how, how am I going to do this? And if it's not the only thing I want to do in life. And I think that's where a lot of the tension comes, you know, um, with motherhood, because it, it it is a lot, like it's a lot, it, you know, when I didn't have my helpers and I'm cooking all the stuff and doing all the bottles and doing everything, like it's a lot, like, and I think that's like where, you know, we still have a mother's helper and because we chose and we believe in supporting the home and real f- food and supporting the mother, because if we didn't, I probably would turn into a lot of mothers who get resentful or or cut off from food or start to turn to fast food or these other things because it's a lot and um so we that's where we like now yes it was at first like survival I have to have help but it came to a place of being like no this is how we're going to live our life because we believe that the value pays off of supporting the home and supporting the mother and supporting our health because and people will say, oh, you don't have money for that all the time. But the money is just going to either big pharma, doctors, fast food, other things. So we choose to employ college helpers and other helpers and things to to support us taking care of our health. And then that's where, like, for me, I I wanted to continue my education. That is very much a part of, of me. I love motherhood very much but I also loved learning about health and so wanting to find like how do I do both and I think that's where we get you know either black and white where it's like you can only be a mother or this and it's like no there's there's seasons and so as my daughter started getting older and we started getting out of fight or flight and you know organizing running my home with some help to where I still got you know a few hours to to work on my passion project, to take basically my story and what I learned from many, many, many uh, wise men and women along my healing path and, and put it into what is now my website and, but to maintain holding the feminine role and the mother role in my home. And so there was a lot of, yes, again, my masculine problem solving brain of how, how do I do this? So a, a lot of time blocking, but a lot of help. And but that has to come from a shift of the belief that the mother was supposed to ever be the do-it-all. And so that, for me, was like I never was meant to do it. And for me to pretend like I, I'm doing it all and, oh, I have my business and I have that, like, without having help, it's just not true. And I think getting to this more feminine place of understanding the feminine was always supposed to be uh, multiple women, multiple women doing the work. And I think that's where a lot of women go wrong as um, they focus in on kind of resenting their husband for not doing the mother work or the housework or the whatever um, work and kind of like channel it on that way. And, you know, everybody has their own balance, their own things at home. But to understand why it's so unbalanced because there's only like it wasn't just supposed to be the mother, like you were supposed to have help in the feminine. And that's the gift of the feminine is that we always have women who are older than us and women who are younger than us and, you know, living the journey of what is the feminine together. And we've lost that. Um, We've lost that in our lineage. We've lost that in our society. And we've lost just that notion of that it takes multiple 
um, women to to run the home and but what would you do these what would, roles? Yeah, but there's going to be women listening to this that you know are maybe in victim saying I don't have that I'm on an island alone and I don't have money I don't have means and we recently talked about the money aspect and let's let's just address that like because a lot of what you talk about is it takes creativity yeah it does so we didn't have um we didn't own a home so even after like a year after the hospitalization even after my husband had a like a good job we lived in an apartment we lived in a two-bedroom apartment uh so we can have money for a helper we we prioritized a helper over having a house and I was like, I don't want a house. Then I have to take care of it. Then it's going to take more help. And then I have to buy furniture. And I have to do all that. So we actually chose to um, live in a two-bedroom apartment with thrift store furniture for years. And then with my husband's job, we traveled around. We lived in Airbnbs. We rent. So we, that's where we made a lot of our choices. Um, and so, you know, money is so individual. It's so up to other. Like, it's so individual. Um, I've listened to so many different approaches postpartum of like recruiting the friends, recruiting the family, recruiting um, whoever is in your life. And that's where we have to come out of the victim and see what support we do have, whether that's a mom that you do child swap with and you have their kid to come over and play and your kid goes over and play. And I tried to solve a lot of mother's problems and, and it just didn't work where I was just like, why don't they want to do it like me? And I'm like, they don't want to do it like you because they're not you. Like, this is where it has to be you being like, what do I need to be the best mother version of myself? And that's a lot of the work I did. And I needed exercise and I needed some alone, like study, like learning time. Like I, I'm a big podcast, audible like I have a big student archetype. So I, I just love that and and figuring it out. And that's that's the hardest thing, right? Because we're told X is going to make you happy. Y is going to make you happy. Susie's doing this. So that must be what I need to do. So it's just coming into what you need as a mother to be the mother you want to be. And that looks different for everyone. And so I've shaped my motherhood around what I need and I need workouts, good food, going to bed at nine, <laughs> like doing sleep, you know, some study time and some good girlfriends. And that that's me. Yeah. And it also takes radical honesty, though, because you were just saying, I don't know what you said in this conversation we recently had, but you said something like a lot of women, you know, do this this trip that t- costs $3,000 away from their oh, baby yeah. when you could just take that to $3,000 and apply it to postpartum doula care, you know? Oh, yeah. And that's that's part of mother archetype is understanding money and coming into your power with it. And it's very common. Like, I would scroll Instagram a lot and see, you know, people like, oh, self-care, like how to take a solo week trip vacation. And maybe you, you that's your thing. But that's why, like, we can't get caught in the, oh, I don't have money story for a helper because, well, that trip alone just costs so much money. I was paying a helper, you know, $15 an hour for nine hours a week. Like there's, there are creative ways to, to do it. You just have to own what your priorities are with your money. Like I, I never did those mainly because I'm a horrible traveler. I don't, I don't want to do a solo beach vacation. I don't, yeah, don't want to be with um, my food. <laughs> Emily Saldea on the Free Society 
recently said that she spent something like $9,000 on a postpartum cook. And, you know, a lot of women spend six, seven, eight thousand dollars on a midwife. And, you know, if you want a free birth, you're, you can take that $6,000 that you would have had as a midwife and apply it to postpartum cook, postpartum doula. Like, the, it just you takes get creati- creative. Yes. Yeah. Like Creativity. Baby showers and how much, like, I, how much time I spend on the registry, like, researching, like, what back and play and what car seat. And, and I remember, like, getting in this like thing with my husband like I need the Nuna Pippa car seat and he's like we are not spending 600 on a car seat right now like we have no income I'm like I need it and it's like no I didn't I never even carried her around in the car seat that wasn't how I like to carry her and so it's taking charge of what help we do have even in pregnancy shifting the traditions around baby showers offering like putting postpartum doulas on there putting postpartum help on there but it doesn't come without some ruffling of feathers and a shifting of ideologies and but that is what we have to do like that is part of what's coming into mother where it's like the amount of money that is spent on elaborate showers on pregnancy photography you know on instagram to get that shot and get the things like birth photography all this stuff but isn't spent on supporting the mother And then people rally again for like, oh, well, we need insurance to do this and that. But once you understand that it's not really for you, like they, no one is covered by insurance that really that you are going to want at your side with it. So it's, you do have to shift how you view money and what you do with it and what you want to do with it. And, and that's, it's shifting so many beliefs. And that's what, that's really where my postpartum journey has led me. I mean, we, We've shifted so much. We left at home. We've traveled. We've left our religion, our tribe, all all the things. And and it really, it did come. And that was the part I wanted to touch on. Like when I was in this searching postpartum phase and just like what, you know, I would look on Instagram and I would just like how, what is happening? Like because what I was seeing wasn't lining up with what, you know, I was experiencing in my life and then time. And I I was very used to looking at things from the health lens, Right. So I was just like, why, how are women doing it? Like, what's going on? Like, if it's taking me X, Y, Z, and D. And then I was like, oh, they're not sleeping. They're drinking coffee all day. They're not eating. You know, like the ones who who we think are doing it all. And it's like, oh, I didn't get it. Because I had been so connected to my food with bipolar and like taking care of my health and like cooking and fresh food and and then motherhood, like doing motherhood that way, like I, I started to be like, oh, it's the food and the mother's health that goes out the window. And so I had to choose. And so like family and my health were my top priorities. So I I let go of, you know, working or that work identity for a few years. And and I still don't really associate that much with it. I kind of took on like, no, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And, and owning that and loving, like, I'm a mother. Like, I, I even, like, fill out in, like, applications or whatever forms, like, occupation, like, mother. <laughs> you know, and owning that and having not to listen, like, oh, I only have one child or, oh, this and not mother enough stories and just being like, no, I'm claiming it. Wow. And claiming, claiming mother being on the – so much of what's out there – tries to sell women on the victim view of motherhood. Like, oh, it's unpaid and no one's doing the work but you and da-da-da. And, like, 
this isn't fair and you shouldn't have to do this and we need X, Y, and Z. And it's like, oh man, so much of it really is your mentality on that. And and I do believe in having wise women to guide you through. And that was what I was missing when I was going through my episode, but later have found. And so I connected with my mentor, Sarah Gustafson, um, through the Czech Institute because when I was continuing to work out and my hormones were everywhere and I, you know, I would try to call like my different male kind of coworkers or people I'd gone to conferences with. And I'm like, yeah, like what exercises should I be doing? You know, what's going on? What's going on? You know, and my core was healing in a dome because I was cut off of breastfeeding quickly. Like, yes, I had lost the weight before, but then psychotic meds put on weight and then the uterus stopped um, having breastfeeding to help it go down. So I had like my uterus was still kind of larger in the, um, like my core was healing a little bit in a dome. And as an athletic person or someone who identified with being fit, this was really hard for me. And um, I just wanted to like push through. I didn't get it. And then finally I was like, all right, I give up. Like I, I surrender. Like, God, you better guide me to someone. And I found uh, Sarah Gustafson and she was a high level Czech practitioner. And so I knew to look up Czech coaches. So this is um, people who are trained under like Paul Czech's institute and I knew from training with Malcolm under the Poliquin that people were kind of trained in both and highly educated in that area. So I looked her up and she happened to be in Austin where I was living at the time from uh, my husband's travel ro- rotations. Again, very divine. But Sarah um, assessed me and was able to kind of like put hands on my core, my belly, kind of walk me through the exercises that I just was not able to get that care. Or I didn't know where to get it because it wasn't like, you know, I didn't have like a huge diastasis recti thing. It wasn't like, oh, my pelvic floor was damaged, like enough for it, you know. So it wasn't like I was, I just wasn't falling in this category that, that kind of the system had these little boxes for women's health, if you will. So it was when I met her and then she became my coach and she taught me. Um, her methods of like really training around your cycle and my hormones balanced out in two months from just switching the way I was living and coming into harmony truly like yes I had been surrendering and coming into the feminine state a little bit more and a little bit more but there was areas that were still very not aligned and then she aligned my workouts and kind of daily rhythms um, with nature and with my hormones more and we were able to balance out my hormones in you know two months and yeah you saw that there was a huge just um like no one serving mothers in that way yeah and it was so hard to like people mothers didn't know where to turn and it's like well you go to this doc like they're just very quick they're gonna put you on medicine they're gonna put you on thyroid medicine with mothers come like oh i'm not losing weight or oh my mood or this and that and they're not going to look at is this mother what's her stress state let's be real like let's look at her nervous system that's the number one thing we got to be looking at with mothers is like their nervous system heightened now that they have a child and how then is that affecting the hormones and how is she processing this state is she supported is she eating real food like is she because many women like 
even learning, like kind of I've talked about kind of the breast milk being different colors and I've alluded to that, like it changes on how well a mother's fed. Like we're always able to feed our baby because the body produces the milk for the baby to survive in that way. But it might pull the nutrients from your bones or your brain if the mother isn't eating enough to support the two. So the body will then go in a little bit more of a stress cortisol, high estrogenic state to then produce the the breast milk. So understanding this stuff and understanding like the mother is meant to be in this rested state and then woman's health kind of lines up her hormones aren't in fight or flight her nervous system's calm then we have her fed like we have her resting we have her kind of living according to her body and the states that it was designed to live with and the rhythms that it was designed to be and she's able to kind of balance out and that's what we don't see out there, right? We see so many women's health issues and really it's like women living on this masculine state, this linear state, this nonstop, just go, go, go and ignoring the natural rhythms of their cycle, pushing through PMS, pushing through their periods, just negating the wisdom that's built in with the body, negating um, really how we're designed. And and with that there, she really taught me to dig out all the wisdom, all the good from your cycle and understand like the four main archetypes for women and understand just how to really connect and and have this vital motherhood where it wasn't just like, I'm only a mother, but these other parts of me were able to be fed. And I think that's where a lot of people have that tension and think that like escaping motherhood is their only way out if you will, to not be all consumed by the mother work. And it's like, no, we we need to stay in touch with the maiden. We need to stay in touch with the wild woman. We need the wise woman. Like we, there's all these aspects of womanhood that we need to stay in touch with to be vital mothers. And that was really where she guided me. And I think kind of wrapping this up, right, is just like the postpartum, you know, journey in this isolation of what is new mother's They're falling through the cracks without this feminine wisdom, without this feminine circle to guard them through this transition. This is where mothers are falling through the cracks. We're falling prey to the messaging that's out there about victimhood and motherhood and escaping it. We're falling prey to what's wrong with me if all of a sudden you didn't magically pop into knowing what to do in motherhood and falling prey to poor health the rest of our life because we're lacking you know the proper care uh, or even like the knowledge of how to take care of mother self because mothers are you know hopping on diets that were not designed for them and exercise programs that aren't designed for them so this is just really where we see just mothers just floundering and and they're the most needed I think, yes, strong fathers as well, but strong mothers are needed in society to really come and to, you know, take charge of our homes and take charge of our motherhood. And and I think that starts there by guarding and protecting that maiden who's coming into motherhood and setting her up, you know, for success, no matter what birth she's had, whatever her situation, but really shifting this narrative to 
knowing a little bit more what you're walking into. Like, can you ever fully know? Probably not. But if if the narrative was a little bit more geared towards, um, I can't wait to see the mother you become. I can't wait to see the person you change into. I can't wait to see your growth versus things that I've got told, you know, I'm just like, oh, good luck. No way you're going to do the stay-at-home mom thing. Uh, you know, hope you can lose that baby weight. You better get your online business going. You're going to be bored. You know, like these were the things that I was told versus, you know, no one really telling me like, oh, I can't wait to see who you become. And and I think passing this wisdom on to mothers, having the tools to even navigate the underworld, that is the feminine journey. And I think I'll close with this. I went, when I was in college, I was surrounded by a lot of guy friends. I always hung out with the dudes. And the the book, like, Into the Wild was was out. And it was very trendy, like, for men to be talking about, like, oh, I want to go off in nature by myself. And I'd be like, yeah, me too. And then I was like, no, I don't. Like, what am I doing, you know? So the the question of, like, you know, what was the feminine journey always like interest me and and it's been very much answered in motherhood where I think there was a mythology of you know Persephone going into the underworld where she has to do all these tasks right and that's very much what I experienced in motherhood was going into the underworld into my interior life and having to clean up Having to sort the seeds, right? Like that's even what a woman's body has to do is sort the sort the sperm, which one's worthy to carry on. And we have to sort through our interior life, sort through our priorities, sort through our values, sort through who who and what we're going to be and what we're going to shed and let go of. And that matches the female biology. And so I think that's really where just shifting the female narrative around postpartum, not as this scary like oh you postpartum depression didn't you you know or this or that but like it is this the postpartum transition of from maiden to mother Cynthia I do want to know um like where you're at with your perspective on bipolar diagnosis um being off meds I think you're off meds you have been for a while right yeah I've, I've been off meds for over three years now and was able to do that with Definitely the help of a team. Um, my mentor, Sarah, some energy workers. I found an amazing holistic psychiatrist who was into things. She got me into like Carolyn Mace. And so I've been doing a lot of like generational healing, a lot of trauma healing, a lot of nervous system healing, a um, lot of energy trauma clearing. Um, so yeah, I have never really told my story in full like that because I've just been so hesitant, right, to associate or be associated with that that label um and it's something that I truly don't identify with anymore like I see it as this this kind of contractual blessing that I had to get me where I am and and that's like I'm thankful for it because there's nothing that would have allowed me to venture motherhood this way with prioritizing self-care from my mother lineage of a lot more of kind of the martyr mother narrative that would have even warranted me for taking care of myself in it it would have been a lot of like this is what you do offer it up 
and really kind of allowed um, that justification that I at first probably needed for it, but now no longer do um, to where this is, you know, something that I've chosen that I'm going to pass on to my daughter and motherhood that I'm going to pass on. You take care of yourself, but you take care of your kids and family too. It's not either or. It's both and. And when a mother is taking care of really her home and her her whole family is. And so that's really what I'm thankful for. But no, I, I am no longer medicated and no longer um, kind of associate or really identify with it. And but thankful for where it has led me. Thank you so much, Cynthia. I feel like we just scratched the surface though because <laughs> I wish I could go to like 10 different avenues, like go deeper on other things <laughs> you touched on. But thank you for having the courage to share this story. I was just speechless in so many moments and thanks for your time and your wisdom. Yeah. I learned so much from you. I, I love you and I thank you. Oh, no, thank you. I love you for kind of pushing me to do it. I, I, I like I like staying hidden. I like the underworld. I like my quiet life. And um, yeah, no, I appreciate you for doing this and for sharing in motherhood with me from from your archetypal mother journey as well. <laughs>